name's Todd. My name's Kathy. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 336. Uh, why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember, my dear and my dear listeners, is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And my sweetie wanted me to start with the regular music, so now I'm going to just bust into the music I wanted to begin the show with. Bust in. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game For I've seen other teams and it's never the same When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed The first time you walk into So, the Cubs are in the freaking World Series. Unbelievable. That is unbelievable. I can't believe it. I know. We were figuring out today. So, 71 years. Okay. Like, my dad was like six years old or like five years old. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Well, and for the record, I think everybody knows this who listens to the show. I'm a White Sox fan, but I am not a Cubs hater. The Cubs have always been my second favorite team. I'm not one of those people who subscribes that you have to... One love, love one and hate the other. So I'm on the bandwagon. I've always kind of been on the bandwagon. It's just been, socks have always been my first love. But this city erupted last night. We're taping this on Sunday. The Cubs clinched game six last night against the Dodgers. And this isn't even the World Series. This was the National League Championship Series. I can only imagine what it's going to be like assuming that they beat a very good Cleveland Indians team. Yeah, I expect nothing else, and I'm sure the city's ready. And I, on the other hand, am I am I come from a Cubs family, so I have some family members who are absolutely besides them, beside themselves, to yes. say the least. This is like a big uh, Kasani Jividen, um, uh dream come true, yes. to say the least. And so I also... Um, I guess I'm just like Todd. I love the White Sox. Um, I love the Cubs. And I just couldn't be more happy for Chicago and for all of us to – there's something about when your team – and I'm sure all of you who are listening understand this. um, There's something about when your team is doing well, how you come together in all of these ways, not just – you know, because the team is winning, but there's this emotional component and this uh, feeling of belonging and connection, and it's really palpable and it just lifts everybody's spirits. And I love it. I think the only part I don't love is the um, the downside, which is when your team isn't doing well. Yeah. You know, Todd, a while back, years ago, had to actually stop watching certain baseball games because he would be in such a bad mood when they didn't win. So it can take the other side. Yeah. But for right now, yeah, things are good. Let's just enjoy this huge Chicago Cubs win because this is, uh, it's, I, I don't even have words. It's been so fun. So, my favorite part about the broadcast last night was not the game, but it was after the game. And A Rod said something, and A Rod has always bugged me. He's just so talented, but he cheated a lot. And, but now he's on the Fox post game broadcast. And he said something which I thought was really good. Did, before you say this, did A Rod really cheat a lot? Or you yeah, just. Yeah, he cheated and then he lied about cheating. What, when you say he cheated, you mean he the stare? Performance enhancing drugs. Got it. Okay. How interesting that he has a job. How interesting that he's. He's a face. He's a face. He's a face. So what he said was, he said, you know, there was, you know, parents 
children, grandparents crying in the street after the Cubs won last night. But he said, my favorite part is the fact that it's October and he was speaking in from a baseball perspective is right now baseball is owning the fall. Yes. And usually the fall is owned by football because football, you know, statistically speaking, is the top dog in this country when it comes to professional sports. And the NFL for the next nine or 10 days is going to take a back seat to non-existent major league baseball. That's right. It's not going to be non-existent, but it's going to be a backseat for to sure. To me, it's going to be non-existent. Well, it also is, you know, the Bears suck. So that has something to do that with it. That helps with the non-existence. Yes. On today's show. Um, Wait, before you get to the show, sure. I want to talk about A-Rod and Pete Rose and the big, hurt. Uh, the big Hurt, who I love, who my friend Jessica sat next to on a plane last year. Um, and then who's the guy who's kind of the r- running the I show? I forget his name. They are hilarious. Yeah, they're pretty funny together. They really like each other, and I enjoyed watching them. First of all, I just think they were really excited, and it, they, they were sitting there while all the people at Wrigley Field were piling out. So they were, like, experiencing Chicago. And then at one point, Hurt said, I'm not quite sure we're going to be getting out of yeah. here anytime soon. Right. Like, they just it was had- just a massive humanity. It was behind them. Really funny. Yeah. So anyway. On today's show, um, three things that we can do with pain. Yes. And I'm gonna talk about um, oh, I wanna do a preview to our Friday's interview that we do with Doug and Susan McConnell. That we did. That we did. Mm-hmm. And then we're gonna put it up on Friday and uh-huh. it's really good. Okay. And I'm going to talk about um, a an exchange I had with my daughter yesterday yesterday. Excuse okay. me. So but before we do that, before we do that, I wanted to talk about because um, I just got home last night. I got home in the during the fifth inning of the Cubs game uh, from New York because I went to see Shvali this weekend. Mm-hmm. So she has now I'd call it an annual conference because she last year uh, had her first Evolve conference and then she just had her second one in New York this weekend. And I wanted to share three things, um, three sentences that I wrote down that I thought were really, really um, powerful. You got some wisdom. I got some wisdom. So of course, Shefali is amazing. Number one, acceptance is not passive surrender. Okay. Wait a second. Acceptance is not passive surrender. So I found that to be helpful for people who, you know, hear us talk about self-aware parenting or conscious parenting or being present with our children and listening to what they have to say and accepting their behavior, accepting their behavior or what they're doing or what they said is not passive surrender to what they're doing. Meaning, for example, say your child is really rude to you. Okay. Okay. You know, super rude. Yeah. You can accept it, right? You can be like, okay, this happened because acceptance really is the as isness of something. This really happened. You're not going back in time and like, you know, bringing up all this old stuff about it. You're not, you're, you're like, okay, my, my child, my daughter was just rude to me. I accept that. Mm -hmm. Now I can take action because I've accepted it. Now I can make a different choice. I can choose what reaction. So instead of getting lost in the rudeness. Correct. You accept the rudeness. You accept it. Now, what are you going to do with that rudeness? How are you going to react? What is going to be the consequence? And I don't mean, are you going to give them a timeout? I mean, what's going to happen? What, what, you know, how can I explain what's going to happen as far as how it's going to shift our relationship or 
that's too strong. How it's going to shift this conversation, how it's going to show up in, you know, the next thing that she's going to do, how it's going to, um, how I'm going to be able to explain to her that this conversation is not, um, is not working based mm-hmm. on the way she's talking to me. We can actually have, we can actually do something if we accept that something just happened. Right. Okay. So I know that sounds really like, okay, but I think a lot of people, when we talk about acceptance, like you need to accept this, they think, well, then if I accept it, then I'm allowing them to do it or right. I'm being permissive. Right. right. Acceptance is not permissive in this case. Okay. Acceptance actually allows you to take action. Got it. Makes sense? Yes, I got it now. Okay. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, and I thought this was interesting because my friend Manisha and I went this weekend, so we got lots of time to talk about what was being discussed at the conference, and we could both relate relate to this one. Niceness is a protection against authenticity. Mm, Yeah. Right? For sure. There is this, you know, and I think men have this too, but Uh women tend to have this, a lot of it because of their upbringing, this like constant inauthentic niceness where they pretend everything is like it's no big deal or they allow people to treat them poorly. What about the Amy Schumer thing? Uh, what you if- just told me you read her book and she said, if you're a girl and a guy tells a joke and no, it's No, that's not- Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler? Uh-huh. Yeah. I talked about it last week. Oh, mm-hmm. you did? I did on the show. It wasn't an Amy Schumer thing. It was an Amy Poehler's book. Okay. She said, it. if a guy tells a joke and it's not funny, don't laugh. Don't laugh. laugh. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that go along with the niceness? Absolutely. Yeah. And and that is like a male to, or a female to male, yeah. but it's even female to female, the niceness thing. Basically, the reason that we are being overly nice to our children, to our, you know, to anybody we run into is we're afraid that if we really show our true selves, we won't be loved or we won't belong. Mm-hmm. Like if we actually say that offended me or I'm hurt or I'm angry about this then somehow we don't we we're not going to get what we need. Well, I I tiptoed around this last week and I don't know if I want to get into it, but I had an exchange with my dad about this. Correct. Should I get into if it? If you want to. I mean, when you say get into it, you don't have to go super deep, but you can give Long these. story short, um my I went to Portillos to get some food for he and me and he and Cam- me. He and me and Cameron and I don't know, a few of the kids, not everybody. I wasn't home. And I got uh, I screwed up his order. And he made me feel bad about it. And in the past, I would have uh, basically, you know, massaged the situation in a way so he didn't feel bad. Right. But instead... And let me explain what you mean by he didn't feel bad. Todd's dad gets very uncomfortable if Todd does something that is out of character to what Todd's dad thinks Todd should be. His expectations His, of me are way too high. They, he puts him on a on a pedestal and, and thinks that he doesn't ever make mistakes, which... And I said to him in this exchange, Dad, I make a mistake every day and I need you to know that. And I've never uttered those words to him, but I said, I tell my daughters almost every day, Daddy made another mistake because I don't want to be held up to a unreal standard. Right. So... Um, so I instead, so I basically vented that I was frustrated at him, mm-hmm. which is very non-characteristic of our exchanges. Frustrated at his expectations of you. Yeah. And then he got triggered because he wasn't used to it. Right. And we kind of had a pretty uncomfortable hour or so. And then the next morning we talked for about another hour on the phone and we kind of allowed each other to speak our minds and it was authentic versus what was my childhood pattern, which I do, which I do as an adult from time to time, which is make everybody else feel comfortable at my own expense. And that is 
basically my whole life up to 10 years ago. Yeah. Like is no matter what anyone says, no matter what everyone's feeling, anyone's feeling, make them feel okay about it so I don't have to feel their discomfort. Yeah. So it's like when they're disappointed, when they're angry, when they're upset, I somehow, like you said, massage a situation so I will take the emotional hit so everyone around me doesn't have to. And that has to do with feeling what everybody else is feeling. And that also has to do with that sense of belonging, that sense of if I am really truly express how I feel right now, I will not be accepted. Yeah. So instead I'll take the emotional hit and, and allow everybody else to do their thing. Yeah. And so I just thought that was a really, you know, int- because, and again, that doesn't mean, I like that Todd used his example. It doesn't mean that then you go around not being nice, that being nice is not a problem. It's using nice as a mask. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, kindness is always a wonderful thing, but if you're being kind beyond your limits where you're self-betraying, mm-hmm. then you are all of a sudden not being kind to yourself. Yeah. It's a weird, ambiguous thing because, you know, it's, you know, I can not argue with you the other way, but you know, there's that, there's that quote that says, if you have a choice between being nice and right, always be nice. Kind. Or Mm -hmm. kind. Is that what Mm -hmm. it is? Mm -hmm. Uh, Being kind or Or to be right. right, Always be kind. But there's a big difference in needing to be right and needing to be authentic. You, it's not about dad, you're wrong. I'm right. Mm -hmm. And it's not me saying to you or anybody else, I win, you lose. It's saying, here's how I really feel about this situation. There really is no winner or loser. Here's the truth. And through this, we can both have a win-win because we're going to have a more authentic relationship. I am truly showing up as myself. You're knowing me as myself. So our relationship just by that is more true. Yeah. And so, it, and it's a practice. And there are times when there are certain, you know, if there's people that I don't know well or a situation where I'm never going to see somebody again, like my Uber driver from yesterday, I'm not so worried. I'll just be nice. Yeah. I mean, it's not like I need to have an authentic relationship with my Uber driver. Right. Um, but I'm talking about the people that, you know, we're really trying to have a true, deep um, understanding type of relationship, we need to show up as ourselves. Right. Um, so the third one, I thought this was great. Give me a recap. What was number one? Acceptance is not passive surrender. Okay. Number two? Niceness is a protection against authenticity. A lot of words. I know. Well, Shefali has a way with words. You know what I mean? All right. What's number three? Um, your emotional blueprint is stronger than your knowledge. Mm, that's kind of good. Isn't what does that, that good? mean? Basically, what that means is we'll go out and read a parenting book, right? And mm. we'll be like, oh my gosh, this is great information. Or I want to be more mindful. And so we take a mindfulness class or you, know, you listen to this show and you learn what it means to be mindful. But when you're really put in a situation that is challenging or triggering, mm-hmm. you go back to your emotional blueprint and you cannot access your knowledge. And when you say emotional blueprint, the way I interpret that is your um, childhood patterns. Absolutely. Or the baggage that you were given as a kid that or you're your still shadow, carrying around. Or, or your, your shadow. unconscious, um, you know, the things you've repressed, yep. your um, unconscious beliefs. Yep. Um, it's basically anything that you're not willing to look at and put forward or the trauma that you have been un- unable to speak or, um, you know, we basically recreate what we feel in our emotional blueprint, even if we have new knowledge. So uh, give me the quote one more time. Your emotional blueprint is stronger than your knowledge. So how do we change the emotional blueprint? The emotional blueprint is about not being on autopilot right. and not just going the path that's so simple and easy and just familiar, being reactionary. Yeah. 
the you can an emotional blueprint. It, I kind of think about it as you know that that is the well worn neural pathways, the um, repetitive behaviors, the experiences we've had throughout lives our our life, and the way that we typically react. What we need to do if we want to create a new emotional blueprint is we need to be aware of ourselves and then we need to practice different behaviors. So we're setting the stage for, you know, as we've said a million times, the experiences that we've had and those well-worn pathways in our brain will probably always be first instinct. And when I say instinct, I don't mean like gut. I mean first reaction if we're not conscious or mindful. You know, it's like we always talk about if you say something to me, oh, you know, I'm going to let my buddy borrow the car. My first reaction is, <gasps> Yeah, you get scared. I get scared. Right. But then my, that may be an emotional blueprint. Right. But then I can take a breath and say, of course your buddy can borrow the car. Like that's not a problem. Well, and I want to take this in a slightly different direction. I was actually coaching one of my clients and when this client would go back home, uh, they were really scared because th- there was some, you know, usually drama mm-hmm. when you, whenever you go home to visit your family. Mm-hmm. So I advise this client to do the opposite because what they would usually do is just do the familiar. Mm-hmm. And I said, do the opposite. And this client came back and said that they had a wonderful trip. And a lot of it had to do with this person doing the opposite than what they otherwise would have done. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Exactly. And not to the extreme where you need to be George Costanza and do, oh, yeah. always do the opposite of what you're going to do. It's if you, and for, you know, that's a, for those of you who remember that Seinfeld where George just decides to do exactly the opposite of what he would normally do. Right. You don't do that to your detriment, but what it means is at least become conscious of how you would have reacted and maybe make a different choice. What that helps you do is stay awake and alive in a conversation. You know, that woman just looked at you. So what? What am I supposed to do? Go talk to her. Elaine, bald men with no jobs and no money who live with their parents... <laughs> strange women. Well, here's your chance to try the opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah, I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. Yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. Oh, yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. My name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. (laughs) I'm Victoria. Hi. There you go. I'm Victoria. Hi. George is the best character in that show, even though my daughter thinks it's Kramer. Oh, eh. George. George. It's all George. It's not it's not even a close call. But George was the only one who didn't get an Emmy. Myself. Yeah, and he was the best. He just was the most neurotic. He was there he was like touchstone. <laughs> yeah, he's Larry David. He was the one that everyone kind of reacted from. Um, I'm a little anxious that we are 20 minutes in and we got through the very beginning of the beginning of our content. Well, you don't have to be. I know. That's, um, that's your typical reaction, but you could choose something different. I have, um, 
last week I did Stripes movie quotes. Uh-huh. This week it's going to be Austin Powers. Okay, well, let's right there just stop because what? if you're going to make this movie is, quotes this is important. more important than the content, then I understand your anxiety because I really have I spent something great here. I a half hour today getting the movie quotes together. And I completely am appreciative of that. Yet I think that maybe the content might might trump. I hate to use the word. Allow myself to introduce myself. Myself. I've been a freaking evil doctor for 30 freaking years, okay? He didn't, you didn't hear him say, I'm Richie Cunningham. I know. And this is my wife. Throw me a freaking bone here. I'm the boss. Need the info. Okay. Why make trillions when we could make billions? <laughs> okay. Hold on. A trillion is more than a billion, numb nuts. <laughs> All right, zip it. You- oh, it's so good. It is. I'm going to play more of these later on. Okay. Go ahead. Can can we talk about the pain thing? Uh, sure. Or do you have something shorter that you would like to talk about? Um, first? Our first sponsor of, actually our only sponsor for today's show is a new sponsor. I'm actually very excited. Yes. Speakaboos.com. All right. Is it booze? Spell it. S- Speakaboos. S P E A K A B O O S dot com. It's kind of like peekaboos. But speakaboos. With an yes. S. So, what is speakaboos? It's a reading app and digital library that has hundreds of stories. And what you do is you turn screen time into reading time. Obviously, we are in the nine, we're in 2016. I was about to say 19 something. 2016, screen technology is part of our lives. Uh huh. Um, obviously, we all read books to our kids, but when they are on the screen, I'm going to invite our listeners to consider Speakaboos because it's all about the educational aspect through the computer, the laptop, the app, the phone, things like that. The way that I was thinking about it, because Todd and I were playing with, you know, we've been playing with the uh, with Speakaboos, is it's kind of like a Kindle for kids. You know, it we. I love regular books, you know, but there are times when I've gotten a book on a Kindle because my, you know, I trade back and forth with people and, you know, I'm happy to have it. So same thing with kids. It's not that you have to throw out their other books, but if they are using screen time, why not give them a book to read or an educational activity? Like um, Devorah said, uh, Devorah Heitner, who was on our show talking about her book ScreenWise, um, there are educational apps that are actually helpful. Exactly. And I remember asking her, and this is before I heard about the Speak of Booze because they came to us and they wanted us to talk about them on their show and I we had a conference on call with show. them and it went beautiful. Did I say my show? Yeah. You no no you didn't say my on their show. You said and they want us to talk about it on our, our show. show. Thank you. And I asked Devora what some of the good reading apps were and I think she pointed me to a website, but Speakaboos is one of those apps. Yeah. And it's for children between the ages of two and six right. or thereabouts. So Yeah, um, Todd and I were playing with a lot of the uh the Ernie and yeah. Elmo. They got Bert and Ernie on there. They got Thomas the Train, which yep. we never got into because we have three daughters. But they also have Sid the Science Kid. Why? I've never even yeah, heard. Yeah, uh, Cameron liked Sid. Who's Sid? Never uh, even heard yeah. of Sid. And then Angelina Ballerina. Never heard of her uh, either. All three of our girls liked Angelina. Really? Mm-hmm. I guess I wasn't paying much attention. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's read-along, highlighting, interactivity. Singing. Singing songs. Which is my favorite. Ernie and Elmo were singing a song and the one that we heard. We were enjoying So that. here's the uh, thing. You search the app, sto- app store for speed. Speakaboos or go to speakaboos.com. They do have a free trial uh, via email or credit card uh, on the market right now. So uh, if you have a kid around that age, it might not be a bad to try out. Exactly. So if you're going to do the long car, you know, car trip, or you know that they're going to be sitting on their screen technology for a certain amount of time, just because that's what's going to be happening on any certain day, why not give them an app 
that they can actually do something like reading. Exactly. Um, so yeah, we were kind of excited about it. And then um, our Zen Gets Real conference is coming up in February. The Rue. And um, one thing that we do is we highlight a sponsor of that conference every week. And this week we are sponsoring Yoga by Degrees. We are sharing that they are a sponsor. Yes, we are sharing that thank you. We're not sponsoring them. We're sharing that they are a sponsor of our conference. We're big fans of the studio. How many times a week do you go there? Five or six. And they have, I think, six studios in the Western suburbs. Todd introduced me to Yoga by Degrees two years ago. Uh, give or take, yeah. So anyway, he came home and he said, Kathy, you're going to love this place. And I and I was like, oh, okay, whatever, whatever. Because it's a, it's a little bit of further drive from our house yeah. than some other places. And I, the first time I went there, I was like so thankful to Todd because no it is exactly the kind of yoga that I love. It is dark. It is calm. It is. Um, it is. You can do hot. I, I don't mind doing hot, and I do some classes that aren't as hot. Um, it. The teachers are so kind. I literally do. I come home and say those teachers take care of me so yes, well. Yes, you do. I feel like they're all like they're all like my therapist. So if you want to hear more about uh, yoga by degrees, go to yogabydegrees.net and uh, you'll you'll hear more about them when you go to the conference. Yeah, and we are doing yoga on Saturday morning of the conference, um, of the conference and a yoga by degrees teacher will be teaching. And we got two Zen friends last week. Yay! Stephen David and Soleil Fleming. Did I pronounce that word right, that name? Um Soleil S-O-L-E-I-L. Soleil. Soleil, 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 Soleil. No, that's Ole. Oh. So they're um, Zen friends, and that is somebody that helps us with our scholarship fund to help people who can't afford to go to the conference. You guys, thank you so much, because right now, I again, I just got an email this morning from someone who wants to come. And that's the thing, is everybody who emails us, that they're like, I want to be there. Obviously, Todd and I try and create things like giveaways, and but, you know, it's hard to do that, you know, too much yeah. before you get to a place where we are ourselves drowning. Yes. Um, so it's it's really we're we're so appreciative of that community support. Thank you very much, Stephen and Soleil. Mm -hmm. I assume that's I I know someone else. I'm sure she listens to the show. So shoot me an email and tell me if I pronounced it right. Yeah, because we want to pronounce people's names correctly. That's right. Um, so. My darling. Yes. What's next? So I wanted to talk about an article that I read in Spirituality and Health, which um, uh, it's probably my favorite magazine, close to my favorite magazine. It's great, great magazine. Um, it always has really uh, inspiring articles, and we've um, we've gotten a lot of content from that magazine yes. for the show. But there was an article in this month's um, Spirituality and Health, and it was about a woman who just wrote a book called On Living. By it, her name's Carrie Egan, and her book called On Living is about her experiences as a hospice chaplain. Um, so she graduated from the Harvard Divinity School and became a, a hospice chaplain. And she had this experience of, you know, being a chaplain and, and being the witness and the person who listens to people's final stories. Okay. Oh, wow, okay. Um, you know, hearing what they say, not always like on the day of their death, but as they are looking at death, as they are approaching that time. And she actually had, you know, the, the article starts out by a woman that she's sitting with who is dying saying, gosh, I really thought at one point a writer would come along and tell my story yeah. for me. And she kept saying, gosh, I can't believe a writer never came along. I can't believe another you know, a writer didn't come along. And Carrie finally said, well, did I ever tell you that I used to write books? And the woman was like, oh my gosh, you have got to tell my story. So what Carrie ended up doing was compiling not just her story, but a lot of people's stories 
about their end of life awarenesses. Mm. And and the thing that I found powerful about this was it doesn't have to be end of life awarenesses. This so happens to be, but the things that they become aware of are things we don't have to wait to become aware of. Because the truth is, just by the the title of the book, On Living, it's not about dying. It's about how they lived mm-hmm. and what they experienced and what and and I loved this, you know, um, how they made connections between the details of their lives to create new meaning. So it's like sometimes we look at our lives as like all sorts of separate things. Yeah, different things. And then all of a sudden we start to see how a lot of details from our lives have overlap and interesting stories and took us in a in a new direction. And and I think when you have time um, to really stop and look, it, it's such an intricate web that leads you down this really interesting path. And if we have enough awareness now, it doesn't have to be an end of life, right? you know, revelation. Like you can really start to see, I know many of us can say, you know, we can look back 10 years and go, oh my gosh, I'm so glad this happened, this happened, and this happened because it led me here, here, and here. And and it's that in more. Yeah. It's that and recognizing, you know, because of course, I'm not about to list for you all the things that people said because we've heard this yeah, before. We've, yeah, we've all read you know? that blog where we've read it's that not one. about how much you make or yeah. it's all about relationships. We know that story. Yeah. We know that. But that really is the essence of what everybody talks about is their love. And so there was this is what I wanted to share. There was one woman that she was talking with who had had colon cancer and she had basically just her body had completely betrayed her. Mm. You know what I mean? And and there was a sense of um, really being broken down and needing to be taken care of. And um, this woman, Carrie, was taking care of her. And and the woman said, it's just so hard being in this condition because people look at me um, and they are so happy they're not me. And I can feel it Mm. in their eyes when they look at me. Mm -hmm. And they don't see me at all. They just see somebody that, um, you know, they, they talk baby talk to me. Um, they're just, they see me as a pathetic old woman. Yeah. And just kind of veering off in a different direction really quick. One of the best experiences, one of the most challenging experiences of my life that I now can weave together the intricate de- details and call it the best experience of my life is that, uh, about 17 years ago, my dad was, uh, he had a heart attack and we were told he was going to die and he did not die that day. Um, and he, you know, came back and, um, is still living today, 17 years later, but we were told along the way, you know, this could be an issue. This could be an issue. It was always like this looming thing. And Todd's been with me every step of the way. He, he and I were dating when my dad, um, had that heart attack and we were told he was going to die. Um, and, so it's always been this thing that death has been very real to me. Um, and obviously Todd has lost his mom and we've lost other loved ones along the way. But this experience of being so close to it constantly, where it's something that's discussed and a real issue, and also being um, in situations where he has been in rehab and I've been with a lot of other people rehabbing, um, where he's now in more of a nursing care facility and and I'm there twice a week or once a week at least seeing my dad. And so I'm among people who are elderly, you know, I'm, it's, our lives have a lot of um, elderly people in it. You know what I mean? It's our, it's our experience now in life. And I, it's been such a gift. Um, And then even my grandma, when she was in nursing care, I mean, it's just like been such a normal part of my adult life to be around people who are older or who are, who are challenged. And 
knowing that, like when I walk into, you know, go see my dad and there's people, everybody there has some like huge story. You know what I mean? And I don't mean like a story like that they were famous. I mean, they all had this really full and still do probably rich life. And to not talk differently to people who happen to be older, to not be babyish to them, Mm -hmm. to not be so, not to pity them, to talk to them and treat them as if you would have treated them 20 years prior. You know, it's we we take this visual experience of of older people, and because it's challenging to us or to our psyche, or because we're afraid of death or whatever the reasons are, we talk to them kind of from a distance. Yeah, we don't connect. And one of the well, things a, that's a form of ageism, right? It is. And one of the things that I've always loved about Todd is Todd loves elderly people, and I've always really appreciated that because um, he has no you know, ever since the beginning with my dad or with my grandma or even some experiences Todd's created on his own where he's made friends in nursing homes, he's always been like, you know, kind of the life of the party. (laughs) I I adore old people. I know. And that makes it, and and I do too, but having you by my side and having us both be in that place allows everything about aging to be so much simpler to me. Right. That because I know that, because I understand what's happening, or when I say understand, because I have that perspective on the elderly population, I don't fear it the way that I think many people do. Well, and I think, um, you know, when we get older, things, you know, it's like we're an old car, like the tire breaks down and this part of our body breaks down and this isn't working as well. But what I try to remind myself is to have a sense of reverence for these older people, which yeah. is the opposite of discrimination. Like, right. These people have something to share. These people have something to add to our lives if we just give them an opportunity. And in our Western culture, there's some cultures that do that beautifully. Right. And ours, in my opinion, does not. And just that they they belong. Yeah. You know, there's such a, it's kind of like older people, um, old people and children were kind of like you, you know, be seen but not heard or maybe not even be seen. Yeah. And- and we just believe there's this like middle place of like 20 to 60 or 70 where that's people right. who belong. Right. But everybody belongs. Right. And not only do they belong, but like Todd said, it's not just that they always have the most the most wisdom to share. Some of them do, some of them don't. But you know just what? Just like people. I was going to say, when, I, when I'm with my dad all the time, we talk politics, we talk work, we talk – it's not like he doesn't get everything that's, you know, happening in the world. You know, it's not like all the things that interested him – you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago still don't. Mm-hmm. And I know that's different for people whose parents have um, Alzheimer's or dementia. Yeah. I know that there are different roads that people experience that have a different vibe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where sure. they have to help a parent who really don't even remember right. who they are. And that's got its own, yeah, that's you know, a whole challenges. Um, but for the most part on, you know, on the other end, um, it's just having that awareness. I, I just... I really connected to what this woman was saying about people look right through me. Right. And what she said to Carrie, to get back to the wisdom that she did share, is she said, you know, she was telling Carrie about her hard things. And she said to Carrie, have you ever had hard things happen to you? And if you read Carrie's book, you'll find out that she did. And this woman said to her, whatever hard things you've gone through, you have to do three things. You have to accept it. You have to be kind to it. And you have to let it be kind to you. Okay. 
Accept it. I get it. Okay. Be kind to it. I kind of get it. Okay. Let it be kind to you. I have no idea what you're talking so about. So Carrie's next sentence in her book is, I don't understand what she means. Yeah. Okay. So this is my, I and, and I kind of think this woman has her own experience with understanding what that means for her. Sure. So it's kind of like when someone writes a movie or yeah. they write a book or a literature of a poem, you've got to figure out what that means to you. Right. Okay. So like you said, accept it. Yeah. You have to accept, just like we were talking about that acceptance is not passive surrender. Yeah. You have to accept that it happened and then you can do something if necessary. It, it happened. Yeah. There's so many things that happen that we like pretend didn't happen or we're unwilling to talk about or we're unwilling to Push it to aside, swallow it, whatever. This pain happened. Yeah. Okay. The second one, um, you, uh, be- you have to be kind to it. What, what do you get out of that? I would say be kind to it means instead of um, shame yourself right. or feel guilty about it, uh, go easy on yourself when this pain happens. I, I take responsibility for most of the pain that gets bestowed upon me. So that's what I get out of it. Be kind to it as like, yes, it, it did happen. And the more you push against it, kick against it, repress it, be angry at it. The more energy you give The it. more give energy you give it. And it's vicious. It's only vicious because you're not accepting it. Yeah. So if you be kind to it and give it a space in your body, this is what I mean. And when I say a space in your body, I don't mean a repressed space. I mean the thing that we can do with the pain we've experienced in life, however big or small we believe it to be. I don't believe we should judge pain on big or small, but some people will say, here's a smaller trauma, here's a bigger trauma, is that we have to integrate it into who we are so we remain whole. If we keep that piece out of us or we pretend it didn't happen or we repress it or we like lock it away with a key inside of us, then we're not being kind to it. Right. We're not giving it space to like help help us evolve ourselves and help us have more compassion for others. And then the last one, you have to let it be kind to you. What do, what do you, I mean, again, I'm not testing you, Todd. I'm just wondering, do you have, what does that mean to you? Let it be kind to you. I kind of feel like that is, if you are not kind to it, then you don't learn from it. That's exactly so, what I think. I think it's a... If, if, you're, if you're not kind to it, then you react negatively or you don't try to bestow any wisdom as a result of this pain that was inflicted upon you. And you don't get anything out of it. It just drags you down. And, you know, pain uh, might be getting a little off track, but pain is actually a wonderful gift because it propels us in a direction we never would have gone otherwise. That's right. So, uh, and that's really hard to say and to own when you're in the middle of the pain. But we talked about this on a month or two ago about a podcast is, you know, when, when you do have pain, that's an opportunity if you can let it. And usually when you look back on that experience, you're like, oh my goodness, thank goodness for it. Mm -hmm. But when you're in the middle of it, it's really challenging to do. And part of that is because we don't think we should have pain. There's so much uh, uh, talk in our culture about, oh, you experience pain. How do you keep that? As we've discussed, how do you keep that from ever happening again? Or this shouldn't be happening. I shouldn't be feeling this way. And that acceptance of just, it, it just is. If you accept an experience, it, it doesn't have as much power over you. First of all, you can process through it and again, it's not about being quick, but you can allow it to do what it needs to do rather than hold it at bay and waste all your energy keeping it down. Well, every morning I wake up, there's a part of me that says, this is my plan for the day and it's going to go beautifully. Rarely does that ever happen. Usually something happens right. to throw throw me a curveball. And most of the time I'm like, I don't want to hit this curveball. I just want fastballs the whole time. I know what's happening. Um, but... 
if I can start to own the fact that something, you know, the day is not going to go exactly according to plan, if I can deal with that in that moment and say, you know, kind of like how what you've said on this podcast before is, isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Just that question itself, Mm -hmm. it's pretty powerful. So next time something happens and life throws your curveball, say, isn't that interesting? Instead of this should not be happening. And I kind of feel like, let me even step back and say, you, you know, okay, this is going to be a weird analogy, but Todd and I, when we're giving a presentation, sometimes we present together, sometimes he presents on, he does his own and I do my own and we prepare very differently. And in the way we prepare for a presentation is very similar for the way we prepare for a day because Todd with a presentation likes to know this is what's going to happen. Here's my list. He even has to-do lists that are like A, B, and C. Or is it one, two, and three? One, two, and three. One, two, and three. So he's very prepared and he likes to know what quote we're going to say and he likes to know. And when I'm putting together a presentation, I usually write three sentences down and that's about it. And maybe a slight outline of like, let's talk about this word, this word, and this word. And then that's it. Yeah, you just let it organically come through you. And that's kind of how a day is for me. Like I know that I have to teach or I know that, you know, JC's got to get somewhere or we have an event at night, but that's all I have on my list. Now, I will say that that has its own set of challenges, which is sometimes when I do get a chance to sit down and work, I'm not sure what the most important thing to do is. So I'm not saying that my way is like the ultimate way. I I have my own challenges with that. But I don't really get disappointed by my days ever. Because the things that I know I need to do get done. I mean, unless there's a some crazy thing that happens, like a kid gets sick or something. And then the rest of the space can be filled in naturally. Like that's kind of the way, and that's kind of how I like to present is here, here's these ideas and let's just fill in the space naturally. But I think again, have it be kind to you. You have to let it be kind to you is allowing, once you accept it and once you see it and allow it to integrate into your system, just like Todd said, allow it to give you the lessons. Uh, a girlfriend of mine, uh, that my friend Manisha and I, that were we were at, um, you know, Evolve this weekend. Like I said, we were talking about the kind of work we do, and we were talking about. She's also uh, listens to people for a living. She's not a therapist, but it's very similar. Like she's a coach, and she helps people with their careers, and she's really good at it. So she listens to people all day long, as do I. And we were talking about that. Really, that stems from our our niceness challenge from our history where we just allowed people to talk to us all the time and pretended we didn't need anything from it. We now have evolved to the point where we know that a relationship has to be, there has to be reciprocity and that we can't just be constantly taking on people's problems. But because we did that for so long and had that pain, we now have that beautiful ability to listen to people. Like instead of taking that experience that kind of had some negatives in it Mm -hmm. and throwing it out and saying, well, I'm not going to listen to people ever. We've really constructed a way to be good listeners because we practiced it for 45 years. Right. Does that make sense? It does. Well, and I, what I think about is what are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with that? Are you going to let, are you going to own it or are you going to let it own you? Perfect. That's exactly it is how do I take that and rather carry around the pain of it shouldn't have been this way or, you know, I should have, you know, either being hard on myself or hard on other people. I really was able to construct a life out of that challenge. And at the same time, figure out a way to have relationships with reciprocity so I wasn't always being the listener. And I feel like I've been definitely able to do that, but then take that skill set and use it as an advantage right. in my career. Right. And, you know, it's like people like people who have been 
they've been addicted. You know, they've had some kind of addiction issue. They become addiction counselors. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, people who have had any kind of like they've been a sexual assault survivor. And so then they help people who have been sexually assaulted. They take Perfect that pain. Perfect examples. Yeah. They take that pain and use and it. And there is plenty of people that use that pain and their life goes in a horrible direction and that is their life. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. Like, you know, your two examples are perfect. Like addiction. You, you, there's a wonderful comeback story that, that somebody with addiction can own because they've gone through this experience. I've been lucky or blessed or whatever the word is where I haven't really had any addictions. At least I'm addicted to certain things like some, I'm overly productive, but nothing like substance. Right, very different right. than the brain kind of addiction. Yeah. So I don't have the ability to create this, this, this survival story. Mm-hmm. Only people who have gone through this pain are in a position to have this story to inspire others. And not just inspire, but they can, you know, I'm going to swear, so they can call bullshit mm-hmm. on other addicts because they know what they're doing. Yeah. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, because if it was you and me doing that, they, we can't connect with that person who's struggling with addiction exactly. the way somebody else has already experienced exactly. it. Exactly. They know, you know, they know the stories. Yeah, what do they you know, know? Right. They know all the stories or all of the, the, you know, trying to escape or trying to pretend certain things aren't happening and they can call bullshit on that. And that's the skill set that they bring. The inspiring story, of course, and the, the role model of this can be done, but also I see you because mm-hmm. I've been you. Yeah. And that's what we have to u- take from our experiences is like, um, you know, we have, we, most people I know, like in my, um, the college class that I teach all of my students, the first thing I have them do is write their story about why, who they are and why they want to be social workers. Well, you guys know what I'm going to say, right? Mm-hmm. They all have a story. Yeah. They all have a, this happened to me, or I saw this, or I grew up in this neighborhood, or I feel like the criminal criminal justice system isn't fair, or I feel like, you know, I was in juvenile detention and I want to be a juvenile detention officer. Yeah. Their pain has driven them to choose a career to help other people. Yeah. And I think that's really what we have to, instead of thinking pain isn't, shouldn't be, we can understand it, use it as an evolving mechanism. Yeah. And, but let me say this because I know we're closing out this part. We don't have to search for pain. It'll come. It comes in its own time. It's being alive. I did go through a phase though, where, because as I was going through like some pretty deep healing of my own in my thirties, where there's such a high mm-hmm. when you go through a challenge and come out of it, there is really an endorphin high, yeah. you know, kind of like, oh my gosh, this awareness that you almost search for those painful experiences. And that some of you may know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, Don't attract it. Right. Don't, don't give it so much energy. Like I used to say, well, I can't cry. So I need something bad to happen. Right. Oh my God. And oh my somebody's God. like... Don't be Don't throwing do that, that out in the universe because it the universe will provide. And trust that... You know, it's like we say about our kids. Don't create. Don't say, well, the world is tough out there. I'm going to toughen you up. Don't worry. Your kids have plenty of things that they're going to experience. Well, it's funny. When my, my, when my mom died, I was kind of broken open and experienced some pretty strong, uh, strong grief, uh-huh. I guess. And I was talking to my coach slash therapist, Tom Fuller, whom I love. TomFullerCounseling.com, by the way. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I felt like I kind of, um, my vulnerability, my rawness, my openness closed back up, mm-hmm. you know, a month after my mom died. Mm-hmm. And I said, dude, I just don't know if uh, I'm worried. Again. And he laughed. He's like, don't worry. <laughs> You're going to get plenty of other opportunities for 
to cry. And so please don't, don't wish for them. Yeah, right. And not only that, Todd, but one thing that I know for sure is that when I have had an experience, if it be spiritual or mystical or just amazingly, like it's it's been so insightful and I just feel so broken open, I'll use your word. One thing I know now is even if I can't quite get to that feeling again, I already have it. Mm-hmm. It's not something I need to search outside of me for. It's already happened. I felt it. I know it's true. And 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 allow it, it the more I don't make something happen, the more it it gives an opportunity to be felt and it can show itself. Yeah. And that really it's the reason that I meditate. It's the reason I try and create that space for those feelings that I've had that they I know they're there. They already exist. Yeah. And I don't need to look for them or yeah. ask it or, you know, as we say, ask the universe. I'm putting that in quotes. We don't need to ask anything. Right. Just know that they already exist inside of you and they can never be taken away. Ever. Right? Cha-ching. Why cha-ching? It's uh, not a money we got to move. But cha-ching. Whatever. The end. All right. This is the end. No. Beautiful friend. Austin Powers. He's the snake to my mongoose. Or the mongoose to my snake. Either way, it's bad. I do new animals. Throw me a frickin' bone here. I'm the boss. Need the info. It's frickin' bad. No, no, no. Oh. It's just there's a it's just there's no connection. No, there's no connection between any of these. But I mean there's no connection to our topic and Austin Powers. It's no hassle. But um, all I'm sh- they're gonna get a. I. I'm just. Which. Which. Knock knock. Who's there? Look. Let me tell you a little story about a man named. All right. Good enough. No, it has no connection, but it's a good movie. It is. All right. There's no movies like that anymore. To close out the show. Yes. I had a. I tried to do some different parenting styles yesterday with one of my kids. Alrighty. Um, one of my kid, one of our kids, was sick uh, for two days, uh-huh. and she, so that was Thursday, Friday. So Saturday comes, she was feeling better Friday most of the day, and then Saturday she felt like hundred percent better, even though she was still on medicine to cure her strep throat or uh-huh. whatever it is. And she wanted to stay at this block party really late, uh-huh. so we were having a tug of war match mm-hmm. a little bit like you know what time do you want to what time do you think you should be able to come home I, i'd like you to come home at eight and she's like no 10 o'clock so i'm like all right i'm not going to have the typical push pull with her mm-hmm. i'm going to try something different so i said let's negotiate like i start out at eight o'clock and then you start out at what you think and then we'll kind of negotiate it so it was like a game i was, I was trying to be light mm-hmm. i was trying to have some levity mm-hmm. i said eight o'clock she said 10 o'clock i'm like eight thirty. She said 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I said 8.30. And you said you're not o'clock. playing the game right. She wasn't playing the game right. She <laughs> wouldn't come off 10 o'clock. So then I tried something different. I'm like, how about this? We'll switch roles and argue for the other person's point. So I said, my name is Blah, uh-huh. and I think I should stay out till 10 o'clock because I feel really good. I'll do all my homework. I get to sleep in on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I made all these really good uh, arguments of why, if I were her, why I could stay out later. And then it was her turn and she didn't want to do it. Right. Because she, there was no, there was nothing in it for her. You were trying to prove your point with her. But I, but I just gave her six arguments, good points of why she should be able to stay 
out later. I know, but she knows what the final outcome is going to be. There's, no, she doesn't. No. I don't. I don't know what. The, how can she know? I don't know what. I don't know where we're going to. So you would have let her stay out later than ten. Not later to, than ten, but I could have gotten closer at nine thirty, nine forty-five, oh, yeah, ten o'clock. Oh yeah, because you were still at eight. Mm-hmm. So my point is, I tried a different parenting style. I'm always trying to do different things mm-hmm. because before it'd be like eight, ten, eight, ten, and then we're mad at each other. So I tried the whole let's negotiate, like make it a game, and then I tried the let's switch roles, and none of it worked. Well, I, I have no wisdom other than it didn't work. Well, I don't know if I'm going to give you wisdom, but the when you told me this story, I was at the airport coming home and Todd and I were talking on the phone about this. And my thought was, is it's not really something to negotiate because we have our boundary, which is if I was home, I think you and I would have both agreed that 10 is the latest. So you think it would have been better if I had said... 8.30, there's no questions asked. No, no. I think that you could have gone later than 8.30. I think 8.30 is kind of early. I think I would is have said- Is it though? On a, you know, she's been, I, I didn't well, think I it don't was know. that early. Good point. I don't know what the limit would have been for you, but instead of making it a, and again, I understand why you made it a game. Like if we because don't- Because otherwise it's, here it is, no- But, blah, blah, but blah. see, it doesn't have to be that way. That's okay. it. You're taking the answer and you're saying that if I'm going to give her a boundary, she's going to take it as a threat or become defensive. And there's a way to say, like if she's like, I'm going to this block party, that is awesome. Have a good time. You know what? Because you've been sick, you got to be in bed by 10. So you can come home at 9, 9.30. What about quarter to 10? Okay, you can come home at quarter to 10. Meaning, do you know what I mean? Like you can still give her some, whatever the- it sounds like going into it, you didn't know what you wanted her I didn't. to say. Well, I was trying to be flexible. I was trying to be fluid. I was trying to not dictate. And in many situations, that'll work if you really, if the outcomes could be anything. And it could have been. I'm, I, but I, could it have been? Because we didn't want to go past a certain time. So really, you're just kind of playing with her. I would have preferred if she was home by 8.30. Okay. So that's one thing. Say, I preferred. I would have, I'd like you to be home at 8.30. If you would like to stay till 9.30, then I am open to that. Do you and think- then she would say 10. Well, and you can say, I tried that. but you could say 9.30 is my limit. So 10's not even in, because when you're still saying we're still negotiating, why wouldn't she go for the latest time? Like imagine if you, and again, this wouldn't count for me because I suck at this right now, but if someone was negotiating a salary with you and they said, Okay, I'd like to give you this, but we, you know, what do you think you should This is get? what I said to her. I said, listen, I want to work with you on it. Right. I would love for you to be home by 830, but I, I don't want to just kind of to, you know, be the old school parent this time, blah, 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 just very direct. Let's let's figure this out together. I know, but I, I what I'm trying to say to you is I don't think in this situation that is the best philosophy. Obviously not, because right. I got frustrated. She was completely discontent. I think there's some things that we have to have a boundary around and we have to have conviction around a certain time. But what we can do is be thoughtful about how we explain why that is the time. Like I have 10 in my head, I think because she ended up coming home around 10, right? What time did you pick her I up? I picked her up about 9.45. 9.45. So around there, that's why it's stuck in my head but is to say kind of like we did when they were little and we said you can do this or you can do this Mm -hmm. instead of giving them this vast because of course they're going to go for you know how much do you think that you should earn for mowing the lawn two dollars or ten dollars ten dollars i mean who wouldn't do that and so it's a weird you're trying to negotiate you're trying to see if she has a sense of fairness and balance when the truth is at the age she is right now she just wants what she wants if you if she could say something in the middle, but the whole intention would be to please you. And that's, and she, she's not, she feels well, she doesn't feel sick anymore. Right. So she's not going to, and even if she felt sick, Todd, I used to like 
go out with strep throat right. and pretend I was fine right. because I wanted to be with my friends. Right. So she's not going to back off of what she wants because of the, she's that's, does that make sense? A little bit, but it sounds like you're, you're basically advising me because you were out of town. So Correct. this was all me. It was me. all you, right. I would have, it sounds like you, that I should have said, you know, I, I would probably soften it up as best I could, but you're home by 9.30 and that's it. Yes, but the soften up would be, oh, you get to go to the block party? Oh my God, that's she that's awesome. She could care less how warm I am about I disagree, being excited Todd. about her going to a block I party. I fully disagree. The way that I connect to the girls about what they're doing is I get just as excited about what they're doing, even if it means nothing to me personally, meaning I, it's not that I'm really, I'm not fake excited. I try and get in their shoes and think they're going with their friend to the block party. Are you psyched kind of thing? Like, mm-hmm. are you excited? And then say, you can totally go have a ball, do what you want, but 10 o'clock's the limit because you've been sick. Oh, I don't, I know I hear you and I know you want to go and you can go, but you got to be home by 10. And then there's no, like, let's play a game about it. There is a conviction about it. But the even time. the ten o'clock for me, like as the dad of the kid who's been on amoxicillin, who's who was right. who throwing up all day on ten o'clock totally. was not so nine thirty. What it's really not about the time. It's about you knowing what the time is and you giving her that boundary. Because the I think like what you're trying to do in that situation, I think is really great, which is I'm going to think out of the box and think of a way to make sure she knows she's involved in this yeah, decision. Include her. But at the same time, that's not, it's not a good, because you really already know what the final line is. So you know what I mean? Like there, it's not like- I actually she, didn't. Maybe I should have before I started. I think in this situation, it might've kept an argument from happening. She still may have been annoyed. Yeah. Like the girls plenty of times will say- you know, I'll say you still have to be home at this time or no, you can't spend the night. You have to come home and they're annoyed, but I'm very clear in myself. I am not like going, well, what do you think? Or should it be? It's like, there's no spending the night tonight. I know I hear you, but it's not happening tonight. And then they can be frustrated, but I don't feel conflicted by it. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. There was no, there was no clear boundaries that I set at all. Right. And so then that gives her too much room to play. It's almost like she's like, I don't know what you want me to say, because basically what you want me to say is make you feel good about your time when I want to stay the night there, basically. And so you have to give me the line. But I would even say, and you know, this flies in the face of everything I'm saying, but I'm like, well, Cameron, oops, child, (laughs) when do you want to be home? And she wouldn't even give me a time. She'd be like- that's a dumb question. She doesn't want to be home. She wants to be with her friends. Right. And what she said was, I don't have any idea when I want to be home. And what she's saying to you is, I may spend the night. I want to do this. You're asking her to be like really introspective about a really simple answer, which is come home at this time. And it's like using this deep introspection or this negotiating on something. I think something. my problem is I'm so black and white. It's really hard for me to warm up 930. Because if I come in decisive thing, 930 is the limit. Cameron, I'm so glad you're going to the block party, blah, blah, blah. 930, you're home. Um, I, I, I wouldn't be able to... It would be very difficult for me to warm that up and get excited for her and she would be mad. And I disagree. I think that the, it is... When you don't think about it as... She would be 930... 9.30. And then you could be, and then that's where you react differently. It's not about how you present it. It's how you react to her frustration. Well, when she says 9.30, 9.30, I'd be like, yes, 9.30. Well, see, feel what, feel the energy yeah, of what frustrated. you just brought. So instead it's, I know, I totally know you want to stay. I get you. I hear you. I know you want to stay. Um, but tonight it's 9.30. 
Do you see, do you feel Meanwhile, the she is really mad and frustrated with 9.30. She would be mad and frustrated if you said yes, 9.30. She'd be mad. You're, you're away too. Maybe less I so. I, she may have been not happy, but I wouldn't feel like we were in a fight. I right. wouldn't feel because I'm very clear. You can be frustrated and I hear you, meaning I know you want to stay later and I know you want to stay the night and I know you want that, but I also know 9.30 is it. And do you see how when she brings frustration at you, you bring frustration back and you're like, now we're in an argument versus there's no reason. If we know the boundary, there's no reason to be frustrated. Right. I'm not frustrated that I said 9.30 because I feel very clear in that conviction. I may not be frustrated. I might be sad because she is... PO'd. And that's a whole different story. Right. That's a, I don't want to disappoint you. Yeah. I want to be your friend. Yeah. I want you to be like, thanks, dad. Yeah. And well, I'm a people pleaser. It's part of my shadow. Right. And, but with our kids, even though you and I always talk about, I do think we should be friendly and friend and have friendships with our kids, but not in that arena. Meaning I feel like I want to know my kids as themselves. When can I start including them in on... Right now, but it's about things that there actually is some room to move. But like, Isn't that an example no, of there's room to there move isn't. of when somebody comes home from a block party? Not if you already know what the time limit is. Okay. So let me give you an example. All right. What kind of activities do you want to be in this this fall? Mm-hmm. You want to do this? You want to do this? There's um, there's so much room. Right. There's no negotiation because there is no hard line. Yeah. You're not trying to get her to agree with you. You're trying to really see, open up that door, and you don't care. Right. This you cared about. So you really were trying to get her to say what you wanted her to say. Right. Do you see, do you feel the difference? Yeah, yeah, I do. I just, um, I don't know. I guess I just don't want to be a hard-lined dictator type parent, but sometimes setting, you have to be. Well, setting a boundary of when a child can come, is supposed to come home is not a dictator parent. Mm-hmm. It's a safety boundary. There's nothing dictatorish well, it's not about a safety. that. Well, I guess maybe yes, her health. It is. It's her health. She had, she like you said, two days before that, she'd been throwing up. She didn't go to school. She was fine and not contagious and not sick Part anymore. Part of me wasn't thrilled about her going to a block party in the first place. Perfect. That's the real conversation. You know what? I know you want to go, but there's part of me that's not really thrilled about this because I know you need sleep. But here's what we're going to do. You can go have a ball, have your cupcake, do all that so stuff, but come home at 930. Sounds like the advice that you're giving me is that... I need to be extremely clear be, without communicating it, just in my own brain of what I plan to do because I had no idea. Well, then then there's no conversation to have yet if you don't really know what – and she may bring it up to you like I want to do this and say, okay, um, give me a minute and then we'll talk about it right. if you need some time to think about right. it. Which I Because I had no clue. Like I'll give you an example, a dumb one. When we just got home from the lacrosse game – Skyler came up to me. She goes, I want to have my birthday cereal. Yeah. And I said, you know what? And for those of you listening, it's like it's like we're not even talking microphones right now. For those <laughs> of you listening, for Skyler's birthday, it was a month ago, but Todd does this thing with them where he buys them a sugary cereal for their birthday because right. we don't have them in the house. And she goes, I want to have my birthday cereal because dad forgot to get it to me or something. And I said, you know what? Because I didn't know how to respond to that because mm-hmm. I didn't know why she wants it now. And yeah. I said, you know what? That's between you and your dad. Yeah. Like I, I can't answer that. I don't have any boundaries around right. it. I don't know how I'm going to answer. So I just shut that conversation down. And and again, I threw it onto you because that is your thing with her. You know, right. like you just and if you want to let her have it today, that's fine. Well, she already had it. That, and that's fine. Yeah, I don't really But I didn't care. tell her. Oh, she had it without asking yes. you? What? Unlo- yes, 
I, it depends on when your conversation happened. If it was after lacrosse, because she talked to me about it at lacrosse. Okay. And I said, yes. Oh, but, okay. But if your conversation happened after lacrosse, then... Well, I, what I said to her is that's between you and dad. Yeah. So we talked yes. four so hours ago. I was going to say, I don't think she would have done it if, you know... But I just, why would she even be asking? Because I think she wanted me to go downstairs and get it. Oh, okay. Like, and I didn't want to go... I, I just okay, wanted so out of it. so she basically took your thing and said, well, I already talked to dad a few hours ago. Correct. Okay. Yes. But my point is, is that there's some things that she I'm not ready the, to deal with right. or answer or, you know, let's cross that bridge when it comes to it because I don't know what my... Because it's not about... When I say having conviction, I don't mean that we have to put – these are just really natural boundaries. When you go out with your friends, you're home at this time. Mm-hmm. What happens in between there or what you wear when you go out or whatever, that's all yours. Mm-hmm. I mean, relatively speaking. You know? So basically but, I need to make a list because oh I love lists <laughs> of what's negotiable and what's not. No, honey, you don't. You just need to in every situation – Block party, <laughs> non-negotiable. <laughs> What else is non-negotiable? No, don't go to do, school. Don't do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. Just I was trying to be that. My that the reason I get triggered is because I was trying to be fun. I know. and work with her and not. So why you're really annoyed by this is because you're not feeling validated for your attempt to do maybe, something different. Maybe and she's a kid and that's not her job to do that for you. Right. That is, you are basically, and and it was also a good experience. Like you're not the only one who's done this. I've done this with the girls where I have had no conviction about something, and it's backfired on me. And so I've learned from that. It's not about oh ha 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 you did this wrong. It's about can you see how that that backed up on you? Right. Because you kept saying like I was sitting at the airport when you were telling this to me, and you're like she's just so mad, Mm. and I just didn't. I was like why. Why is this even a, a a problem? Yeah, she was mad. <laughs> I know. Okay. Um. So we're doing a show, uh, this Friday. Yes. A podcast with Doug and Susan McConnell. Yes. And this is just a quick preview of it. I had it queued up, but I lost my space, so I don't know if this is going to be a good part or not. Okay. So I might have to mess Play around with it. With it. Mm-hmm. Um. Doug is a marathon swimmer. Mm-hmm. Long distance, long open distance, water, open water, and we sat down with he and his wife a few weeks ago. But it's outstanding. So here's a quick clip from our interview that will be posted this Friday. California felt like a somebody holding a steam iron on you. I was stung. Um, I I don't know the answer, and yeah. it's a good question. Mind and over I, matter. Yeah, there, I, 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 the um, uh, I really didn't want to get in the boat. Right. I know that much. Yeah. But the um, uh, then we did a swim in. Um, <clears throat> Uh, California, where we swam from Catalina Island to Long Beach, and um, I was stung hundreds of times on that, time. and it was it was really tough. And oh it boy. was and those were it's funny the the ones in in Florida felt like an electrical shock. The ones in California felt like a somebody holding a steam iron on you. It was hot. It Ooh. was, a, um, and um, and then we took a few, um, just a handful, ten or a dozen, uh, on the Hawaii swim, and those felt like like being stabbed with a jackknife. <laughs> He's talking about jellyfish, He's by the way. Talking about jellyfish. Um, okay, here's the thing about this interview. Okay, because you might say, well, I don't really care much about marathon swimming. This is not about marathon swimming as much as it's a family story. It's an inspirational story. And Doug, what Doug did swimming the English Channel and many other uh, open water swims is he's like done things that what's the statistic again? He is the 48th person. He's the 48th person over the age of 50 to swim the English Channel. That's 48 people 
out of the whole uh, out world. Out of 7 billion people that are on this earth right now and everybody who came before us. And he did it because of his family's ability to support him. And when I say support him, I don't just mean encourage him. I mean, they were part of his team. Yeah. And you do not want to miss this story. Todd and I loved it. It's a two-parter. Uh, the first part is this Friday. The next part will be next Friday. So that's all I have. Um, oh, we do have a few um, iTunes reviews. We're really close to 300. Cool. So I'm as far as a call to action, I would love for our listeners to help us go over... Uh, 300. And we're going to throw them a bone here too. Okay. Whoever is the 300th, we'll throw them a set of books, a set of your books. Oh, all that right. sound good? No problem. So here's the most recent. Marianne Hansel uh, says that it's great teaching. She's a mom of three sons, age 17, 15, and 14, married for 21 happy years. Grateful to have found your podcast. Love the energy between you and the message in your topics. No judgment, just encouraging people to do their best. Great job, great teaching. And then Rockin' Joe 07 says it's great for men too. Oh, good. And then finally, Karen in Silicon Valley says that she's addicted. All of them are five-star reviews. Thank you. Just want to say thank you to Marianne Hansel, Rockin' Joe, and Karen in Silicon Valley. Whoever is our 300th reviewer, We'll get uh, a set of Kathy's books. Now, how are we going to know who they are? Because we only get their Twitter. We'll email. announce them on the show next week, whoever's number 300. Okay. And then, and then we'll, they'll we'll email ask us. them to email us. Um, two things I wanted to say. Number one, thank you for all your comments about not splitting up the show. We're not going to. Yep. We might split up Friday shows, but not Tuesday shows. Um, like our conversation with Doug and Susan went like for two hours or something. So obviously we'll split that up. But our regular Tuesday show, like our conversations, we will not split. And then the second thing is, is for those of you who listened to the show that last week, if you noticed that there was some audio missing, um, meaning there was some stripes quotes that were missing, um, we noticed it too. And we tried to fix it, but it was an iTunes thing. Um, So sometimes we get frustrated because it's, Todd works so hard on producing and he, you know, checks every box and crosses every T and dots every I and it still sometimes doesn't work out. So so for those of you that um, were frustrated by that, so were we. Um, But, you know, we'll keep keep trucking as Todd would say. Keep trucking then. And the last thing is uh, our friend Andrew uh, from The Conscious Bedtime, uh, ConsciousStories.com, has a new book called The Hug Who Got Stuck. Andrew was one of our sponsors at uh, last year's Zen Gets Real conference. And I saw him at Evolve this week. And weekend. you saw him at mm-hmm. Evolve. So we just wanted to give a shout out to Andrew for this new book. He has a Kickstarter campaign, so we encourage you to check him out at ConsciousStories.com. So, Parting thoughts? Make meaning of your life now as you're going through it. Start connecting the dots, recognizing the, how everything overlaps. Become aware of your past experiences, your pain, and how it's taught you and moved you forward. And you don't have to wait till you're dying. And the truth is, aren't we all all the time? Because we don't know, you know? So live each day to its fullest and, and appreciate um, everything that's happened, even the challenging things that have made you grow. And my words of wisdom are for everybody to keep on trucking. (laughs) See you on Friday. Okay. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. 
and get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. <laughs> On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FAMZOO logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking.